and welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, your favorite beat writer for The Athletic. He's my best man, my best friend, and I give him permission to put my wife's name in his mouth. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? I don't know what that means either, <laughs> but I'm doing great. I'm just saying, if you made a G.I. Jane joke about Alexis, I would not smack oh, you. <laughs> oh, oh, all right, all right, sorry. Should have been up on that <laughs> reference. Um, well, good thing is I would not say that about Alexis, and even if, generally, I just wouldn't say that, so. Well, you know, it, one of the lessons from that is, you know, you have to have a conversation with your significant other after that. It's like, if somebody insults you, do you want me to assault them? <laughs> and and she uh, it's funny because this is the first be, do as I say not as I do because I said so of our marriage she goes no I would rather you just yell at them something I'm you know fully capable of doing as you know and she goes but I would fight them I was like well why is it okay for you to fight and not me to fight <laughs> no, because I said so so first one of the marriage that's uh, th- thank you Will Smith and Chris Rock for that <laughs> all right but on uh, Tiger comments, we wa- we wanted to start out this podcast by addressing something that we just didn't get to last week. Uh, it was Cody's traveling, you know, working, all this stuff, and, you know, I'm prepping for a wedding. Uh, Chris Illich kind of did give his statement statements um, regarding the CBA and the rumors of him. I'm not going to say rumors. The reports of the from The Athletic that he was opposed to to raising the competitive balance tax during the negotiations. Um, Looking at his comments, Cody, it kind of reminded me of the quote, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It was really something that was kind of keen in on a very finite detail when he's like, I did not vote against it. Okay, that's good, but it's not really the point. That's sort of trying to skirt around the point a little bit. Um... I'll give my impressions uh, of it, and then you can kind of, you were there, you can kind of fill in um, what it was like watching him do so. Um, he was obviously scripted, but I didn't think he was as scripted as he normally is. There was a lot of, you know, kind of head tilting, pondering. His language wasn't as concise as you would uh, expect when it, when it starts out with, I got something to say, or I'd like to address, or whatever the... <laughs> whatever the specific language was. So on that aspect, it did seem kind of genuine. He did come across as, in a good way, I guess, defensive. Like he was, you know, trying to defend, like, this notion that was out there about him. Um, And then I wanted to, I wanted to also say this. We always kind of joke that we would be great at PR and we would, like, be able to at least direct people to say things that are better than what gets put out there. To me, I think it would have been good for him to say one of these things. He was like, I was just looking out for the interests of other teams. We were just kind of discussing it, and I was thinking of like my shareholders, essentially other owners, like small market guys. Um, I didn't want to raise without more concessions from the players. It's just a negotiation thing. That's or you know he could be more vague than that, but just kind of make that the impression, or. Like the Diamondbacks came out and said, we just wanted to change, as it was presented, wanted to change the penalties. The penalties were the same. So we there was just more to it than just raising the tax. I think any one of those things would have 
been better than just sort of saying that I voted for it, so therefore I think that's, you know, that's the right move. It's just like, you know, presidential primaries, like you're against this candidate and your party, but then when it becomes the general, you still vote for him. So it's like, oh, I always supported him. I voted for him in the general election. Well, I mean, yes, but no. So that was sort of my impression of it. I did like that he came out and said something. I did like that it seemed like he was being a little bit more, I'll say less robotic than sometimes the it, it is perceived with him. And, you know, I just, I just think there were better ways to go about it, but I did not come away like rolling my eyes, if that makes sense. So what, you were there, what was kind of your impression of it? And now that we're like a week plus removed, you know, how does it play for you? Yeah, I think first things first, we have been pretty critical of, of Chris Illich on this podcast. I think, number one, it's good that he came out and faced the music a little bit and talked to the press because I wasn't sure if he was going to do that this year as he normally does at spring training. Um, so he came out, he faced the press, he, uh, you know, a couple of general comments about the team being excited, but he, he knew, I think, what the discussion was going to be about. Um, I actually asked the first direct question about the whole competitive balance tax issue and i basically said did you at any point object to raising the the cbt and if so what was your rationale um you know chris went on to give the the answer he gave i thought it was definitely the least robotic i have seen him i'm not sure that's saying a lot i I think an element of the answer was prepared but it was definitely uh uh, if that was scripted, it was a better script than his normal. Let's just put it that way. He, he did show some humanity. He did seem a little bit defensive. Um, there were a couple of, a couple of follow-up questions that were asked. I kind of went up back up to the press box thinking, oh, that was pretty good. Um, and then as I transcribed the answer and looked at what was actually said, I realized he told... As I went back up to the press box and looked at what he actually said, it was like, oh, he definitely was towing a very fine line by only using the word vote. The follow-up he was asked was like, to be clear, did you vote against it? And he was like, no, I didn't. And so the athletic report was not that there was a formal vote. Mm-hmm. It was that Chris was one of four owners to object on a call. Uh, if you really look at Chris's answers, he seemed to dance around that quite yep. quite expertly. Um, and then mm-hmm. I think the Diamondbacks thing doesn't make him look great when the Diamondbacks you know, came out and were like, Oh yeah, we objected to it, but here's why. Um, again, I think that probably would have been a better way to go about it. Uh, at the end of the day, at least he said something. At least he seemed a little bit human. How much do I believe that he never objected to raise the the CBT? Uh, I don't know. He, he there were other answers he could have gave. Instead, he he stuck very strictly to well, I never voted against it. There was only one vote. Um. Another interesting thing, like, no one cared. Like, everyone got up in arms when the initial report came out, and everyone was up in arms about the lockout. And there was kind of very little response to Chris's media availability. I think people are kind of done with the lockout. We don't want to talk about it anymore. I think people, um, it's a lot more fun to bash the owner than it is to be like, oh, okay, let's give a level-headed take of what the owner just said. I think that all kind of works together. Um, so I think everything I initially said about about 
Chris and this issue a few weeks ago still stands. Um, other than like the ivory tower thing, he came down from the ivory tower and he, and he talked about it and that's good. One note, he did bring his son out. He has, a, I think, 11-year-old son standing by him the whole time. And the most awkward thing was he, like, brings his son up and he's like, as my son Trevor said, the biggest Tigers fan, I think this team is going to, like, you know, exceed the expectations or whatever. And that part seemed very, like, look at my son. I am a human who bore this offspring. And that was really weird. And I didn't even put that in my story because I was like, I'm just not even going to... I think it was like a, a attempt to humanize things, but it was like another kind of overdone um, attempt. But otherwise, you know what? Enough about Chris Illich. Let's talk about some actual baseball. Yeah, well, you know, the the reason we wanted to address this a little bit, and I'll just say one more thing. It's like there are ways to defend like not wanting to raise the CBT. Like it, and like we can disagree with it, but it it sure. is at least level headed thinking to like not want it to be right so like it's you're not evil for having that opinion but i would think you should at least be a little bit more forthright and honest and be and and you can do that while still being vague enough that you're not giving away any negotiation trade secrets okay i think the reason why he was so defensive is this was the year that he was essentially going to be able to prove his reputation does not apply and in terms of actions it's no secret yes uh you know Baez um you know Eduardo Rodriguez you know making you know Al coming out and you know he could just be defending his boss or whatever but Al coming out and saying like we've never had a like budget uh contract like no we can't sign that guy because of this or whatever so he has put money into the team, and we're going to see that on the field. He's also heavily funded the behind-the-scenes operation and what we are calling performance science, and that was one of the articles that you wrote this week. Was talking to Ryan Garko, who I believe was this his first one-on-one um, since taking the job. Uh, so, so we get to hear from him in, uh, you know, outside of a prepared team statement for the first time. And if you read that story and don't come away with the depths that it takes to try to be one of these well-run organizations, we'll just throw the Dodgers out there and the money that goes into it and, not necessarily going to get a direct return on investment in the traditional sense. Like this is an example of funding the team. So I just don't want that to be lost, but in regards to Garko and his job and, and what he's doing and how he's kind of taking it head on. I remember when the hire was made, we were, you know, he was starting right away and now we actually have seen glimpses of some of the stuff they were doing starting all the way back at minicamp. Uh, hearing from Ryan, Having him explain some of this stuff and the intricacies of it, uh, what were some of the biggest takeaways about this new direction of the Tigers? Because one of the things I like that you said is like they were behind, but they weren't as behind as people said at a certain point. They're also not necessarily cutting edge, like it's like <laughs> as you said, the answer is in the middle there. So uh, what was what was getting to talk to Ryan and you know? his level of expertise with all this stuff and what they're trying to do in the, in the organization like. 
Yeah, I thought it was a really great conversation. Um, it reminded me when AJ Hinch took over at the start of last season, one of my initial impressions was, oh, we're using a completely different baseball vocabulary now. Um, I, that was pretty apparent in my conversation with Garko, who's now the VP for player development. Compared to former VP Dave Littlefield, it was like a world of difference just in terms of um, the types of terms he was using. And look, that's not to say Dave Littlefield is not a knowledgeable baseball man because he, he's been in the sport forever. He is, but I think Ryan Garko absolutely is more up in the world of modern player development, clearly has a plan, clearly is is bright and energetic. Uh, doing these interviews, I've I've encountered this a few times now. Sometimes it can be hard because trying to do an overview of a player development system is very broad. Most of your questions, my questions tend to be very broad. I think the most interesting stuff gets more in the nitty gritty, but that's also where some teams don't want to reveal too much information about their about what they're doing, and you also don't want to fall into the trap of well, tell me about Jackson Jope. Now tell me about Christian Santana. Now tell me about Gage Wardman. And you're just like going down the list. Um, so it was a pretty broad overhead view of the changes, but I thought Garko talked a lot about his staff, giving him the freedom to coach, hiring different people, but all people who are all good communicators. And the thing even Al Avila has said, like the Tigers put a lot of effort the past few years into uh, what they kind of like to call coaching the coaches. So they had some people in the org who were up on analytics, who were smart on data, modern player development methods, and they would try to teach this information um, to the coaches, some of whom were, yeah, older school guys. Those days are kind of over with this new player development staff, with Gabe Rivas, with Ryan Cinco, you know, all these other names that, that you may have heard. These coaches don't have to be taught much anything. These are guys who know what's up and can apply it and can get that information directly to the players. I think that was kind of my main takeaway for what the difference actually is right now. Garko, yeah, he said the system was teed up for the right people to come in and, and take it over and take off. And I actually think that's... Um, I think I've probably written about the Tigers player development system more than anyone. And I think that's a pretty accurate way to view it they still had a lot of progress they, they still have a lot of progress to make uh but the the foundation the infrastructure finally is there what it still probably lacked was the right leadership and now you might just have the right leadership yeah and you know picking picking guys from successful organizations is is never a bad move the, the thing about you talk about like the vagueness and you know tell me about this guy tell me about that guy the thing that I'm trying to like wrap my head around is when am I gonna see a tangible result so when I mentioned like the return on investment like with so much stuff behind the scenes and going from the ground floor up are we gonna have to essentially wait for Santana to come up or like Job to come up to be like since they're betas in a way because they're starting you know at the lower level and and, and we'll see what what their uh, progression is I don't I don't know where I'm gonna be able to find that not to say that I have my doubts but that that's gonna be the weird thing so you say you've like written about player development more than anybody else that's a hundred percent fact and it's probably because <laughs> 
not many people want to write about something that uh, as as fascinating as it is that you can't like go back to and be like, see, I told you because like we just won't know. You know what I mean? Um, in regards to AJ Hinch, though, what's his real role in this? Because hired at different times, him and Garko, and you know subsequent hires. Uh, not you now being the major league manager, you're there's so much going on. You can't probably get into the nitty gritty of this stuff like during the season. Um, but by the way you described it, is that this is going to be a what you say horizontal flow uh, of of information. So he's on the same plane with everybody else, but he is also the manager. But it seems like he's enthusiastic about everything. So AJ Hinch's role, AJ Hinch's attitude about this, it it seems like. He's all in, but what, you know, what part can he play in it, I guess? Yeah, hard to say without actually being in all the behind-the-scenes meetings, but I, I promise you A.J. Hinch is more involved in player development than Ron Gardenhire ever was, or than, probably than a lot of major league managers are. I think he does um, see his role, yeah, manage the major league team, but he does have a broader footprint. Um, within the organization, I think he sees part of his job as knowing what's going on in the minor leagues, knowing who kind of the players of the future are, and ensuring that there's a good setup below the major league level so that one day uh, he'll have more assets to work with at the major league level. Uh, Hinch is very knowledgeable about pretty much every prospect in the organization. I think he communicates with a lot of different minor league coaches and analysts, I think he's more hands-on than the majority of managers. I mean, he's obviously not the one down there instructing players. Um, he's not the primary person evaluating players. But I would say he keeps himself very much in the loop, and it certainly does seem like he had some say in who was going to be hired and how this revamp of the player development staff was going to be structured. Do you have a favorite concept or a favorite uh, drill? Because those are the kind of stuff that has either been said or we were able to, or, you know, media was able to see, like at minicamp and all that stuff with the three plates and, you know, different angles of the pitching machine, you know, that kind of thing. Do you have, like, a favorite of those or, like, a favorite concept? Because I'll tell you my favorite concept that I read in your story was talking about uh, biomechanical analysis. And I'll just read the quote because I – this is, like, to me, the epitome of New Age thinking. Um, the body can only... This is from Garko. The body can only move certain ways. In the past, I think we asked some hitters and pitchers to do some things that were mechanically correct, but their bodies just don't move that way. So we're starting out the whole process with every player with a much better understanding of how their body works. Uh, it's hard for me to think that Littlefield was thinking about whether... <laughs> You know, whether somebody's body is fully capable of moving in a certain way, even if it's quote unquote mechanically correct. Because, I mean, all you got to do is look at every single batter has kind of a unique little stance and motion. Um, pitchers, you know, probably not as much, but, you know, still the, the concept remains the same there. To me, that was the epitome of looking at this old game that we love in a new way. Yeah, I think in the biomechanics is one area where I think the Tigers are a little closer toward um, the cutting edge. They've had this partnership with the University of Michigan for a few years now, and Georgia Giblin 
Um, you guys could all know about if the Tigers would actually let me write about Georgia Giblin. For some reason, they don't seem to really want to promote their female Australian director of performance science, which I don't understand at all. Um, but it seems like the Tigers are very well-versed in biomechanics. It seems like Dr. Georgia Giblin does an excellent job. And I think, yeah, when I'm kind of hearing this stuff, I think the drills are kind of, I think each drill has a purpose. Um, I think it's way too easy to make too much of certain drills. I put them in my story because it was just kind of evidence of, oh, look, they're doing things differently. I think a lot of drills can be eyewash. You can go to any hitting facility in America and some coach is going to have a wacky drill and doesn't necessarily make, you know, this person a genius. Um, drills are drills, and I think you can take something away from all of them, you know. But I think the thing that could actually help players the most is having an understanding of their body and how the swing works and how the kinetic chain works. You know, I think me as a player, like, oh, I wonder if, I knew more if I had some deficiency with my right ankle, maybe I could have strengthened it or maybe I could have altered my swing to compensate for it. Like I think that can result in a different sort of knowledge and different sort of change than um, any sort of creative drill can. I think it's further evidence that, yeah, this all this stuff is being thought of on um, a much, much different level. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's one of those things where I'm really looking forward to the story being written like next spring training and, you know, insert guy here. It's like I really understood that my arm angle made it easier to do this pitch or I should focus on this because that's what I can actually flex with, you know, something like that. And then that will probably be the our first indications of, of some real tangible results. Uh, Spring training in general, Cody, uh, well, not really worth like doing like a recap, even though this is like our last pod before the season starts. I was kind of going through the pecking order, the batting order, defensive alignments, bullpen, all that stuff, sorry, in rotation. And I said this last week too, but box check, box check, box check, box check. And so I'm like, I feel too good right now. I feel I feel a little too positive. So let me bring myself down. What are the big concerns with this team? And I think the ones that I came away with kind of centered on, for lack of a better term, development. Basically, for this team to, to reach any sort of height, whether that's just increase in wins, playing meaningful games late in the season, playoffs, you know, whatever... We're, we're banking on a lot of things. We're banking on Akil Badu, you know, becoming more of a well-rounded hitter, but still having the excitement and the flair, and he is still very young in his baseball, like, career, you know, from A to, to the major leagues. He's still figuring out a lot of stuff, still a young guy, obviously. Uh, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, you know, these guys have been penciled into the lineup in fans' minds for... Um, basically since the last season ended and that's also asking a lot of rookies to play such a pivotal role and then you know Casey Mize can he take a next step what about Matt Manning Tarek Skubal like there's there's a lot of like oh okay so we're just assuming that they're gonna go upward 
maybe some of the older guys. Are they going to slow down? Is Robbie going to slow down? Is Scope going to slow down? What are you even getting out of Miguel Cabrera? Are you going to be able to treat uh, the game? Is Are things going to be serious enough for, like, you're going to have to treat Miguel Cabrera, the 2022 version, not the Hall of Famer type of uh, status and respect in terms of, like, oh, we can't bat him any lower than, you know, wherever. So those are the things that uh, brought me down a little bit. Plus, you know, injuries. That's that's every year. That's that's nothing uh, nothing unique. But I, we are banking on a lot, Cody. I think uh, as we look at the Tigers, as as fans are really hyped about this season, which I'm not criticizing. I think it's definitely warranted. However, you know, like it, it it's baseball after all. There's a lot that can go wrong, and and we're assuming a lot of this team, in my opinion. Right, I think you can tilt your head one way and be like, this team could sneak into the playoffs. And you can tilt your head another way and be like, are we vastly overhyping this team? Uh, I think at the end, I honestly, I think I've, you know, I think I predicted the Tigers to win 85 games or more. And I almost wonder if it's, maybe I dial that back to like uh, 500, you know. That's obviously a pretty small difference. Um but I have a lot of questions about this team, man. I mean, I think I think here's a good way to look at it. Who is your all-star on this team? Oh, yeah. Who you got going to the all-star game? Um, I would probably say a pitcher, and I would probably go with Mize. I think his profile is big enough that if he has a good first uh, first half, he would he would be the all-star selection. I don't think it will be a Soto thing again because Soto was warranted. However, like, would he have been an all-star if it wasn't a requirement yeah. for yeah, every team? I think, I think this team is at a place where it can have an all-star that's not Shane Green or Gregory Soto. Right. Like, I think you could get a starter or a position player. But your biggest name is now Javier Baez, and Javier Baez has like a 307 lifetime on base percentage. Like, he's a very good player, but he's... Not a shoe in for the All Star game. Um, you got a lot of young guys with a lot to prove. You have solid players in Scope, Candelario, Grossman, but not really elite talents. We're recording this on a Thursday. Tigers are playing the Blue Jays. On the Blue Jays broadcast, they showed you know ranking of best lineups in baseball. I think it was Dodgers one, Blue Jays two, you know Yankees, Red Sox. You look at the names on those. Um, those like I mean the Blue Jays, George Springer, Vlad Guerrero, Bo Bichette. There are so many good hitters, and the Tigers just don't quite have that premium level of hitting talent. If they do, it's in Green and Torkelson, who are still going to be rookies. Um, so I just don't think you have a premier lineup yet. I think you have a lineup that, if they play like last year, can be adequate, can scrap together some runs, can be fun to watch, but not a dominant batting order. Uh, and then pitching, I think, is ultimately probably the biggest key, right? We're just kind of all assuming, like, this rotation is going to be good. Eduardo Rodriguez, there's a lot of reason to think he could have a really good year, but he was pretty much the number three starter in Boston. Uh, I think Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal could take big steps forward this year, but who knows? I was watching Matt Manning throw today, and I'm like, how many years is it going to take this guy to be able to throw something other than a fastball consistently? You know, I mean, it's like, how many, like, how long is it going to take? I don't know. Matt Manning could be really good. Or he could never master a third pitch. 
maybe not even a second pitch. Um, and then your pitching depth is already getting tested because we're opening up two roster spots. Kyle Funkhauser's hurt. And the Tigers are just trying to give away these final two bullpen spots. And uh, I don't really know who they're going to go to. I mean, I, I guess like guys like Drew Hutchinson and Chase Anderson, who I didn't even really think were, um, were super in the picture entering – Guys who I didn't even think were super in the picture entering camp uh, now have a very good chance to break with the roster. And then it's like, okay, so say May 1st, the roster goes back down from from 28 to 26 players, but you have a couple of injuries. Like, who are you Who are you calling upon? I don't know. I think you really got to hope Alex Fajardo and Joey Wentz are capable of pitching in the big leagues. Like, there's a lot to like about this team, but there are a lot of question marks. I think fair to say more question marks than uh, you would expect of a team you're kind of penciling in for the playoffs. You know, last year around this time, one of the first episodes that we did, I remember saying it feels real now. Like, you know, like AJ early impressions, like it feels real. Like there's a, not to say prior teams weren't professional, so I'm not trying to use it in that sense, but it felt a little bit more professional. Like we're we're here now. Big it's time. real, uh, big time. You hear, you see a Casey Mize quote every now and then about like you know this year we really believe like you know we've we've got these guys, we got the young guys coming up, we've got a solid group of veterans. Um, you know, obviously the manager, the coaching staff. Uh, it, it feels to me that they also are going about it like this is our time to make a jump you know what, what does that mean i don't know but it feels like that's what they believe themselves uh you've talked to the guys you've you've seen them you know in workouts and in games uh spring training games this year obviously talking to aj hinge does this team believe that they are ready to like i said make a jump uh, I think there's a very serious attitude. I think there's a great energy. I think the players that have been around are excited that, yeah, this year feels, as you said, for real. Like, no one's just expecting to lose. The expectations are, hey, this team should try to fight its way into the playoffs. And if they're not at least in that conversation um, in September, I think it will be looked at as as kind of a failure. Not exter- maybe externally, but internally as well. Now, the question uh, to bring up the Blue Jays again, you know, and the the awesome shirts. Last year was the trailer. This year is the movie. Uh, I wonder how much that might apply to the Tigers. I wonder if this year ends up being more of the Tigers trailer, and next year everyone's a little more established. They can add one or two more pieces. Maybe it's it's probably more accurate to say, okay, next year could could be the movie. Um, but there's still so much unknown. I think that's part of what's going to make this team so fun to watch. There are so many questions, so many guys who you're not exactly sure what you have or you know they're good, but how good are they? A lot of likable personalities on this team. Um, I think that's all good. I think the attitude in the in the clubhouse is definitely we believe we can and should win for the first time since I've been covering the team. All right, so... One of the uh, one of the guys we've mentioned a couple times already was the subject of the 
the subject of the week on Tigers Twitter, a uh, former beat writer for the Tigers, insinuated, like, he kind of tried to backtrack it a little bit, insinuated a that... A lot. The, <laughs> a lot. Um, really walked it back. <laughs> insinuated that, that the Tigers could or should start Riley Green in Toledo as opposed to breaking with the team uh, to start the season. Now, Riley, but prior to today's game, he's got 20 at-bats. He's batting 400, a couple homers, uh, you know, a couple RBIs. He, we, That was the first time I had ever heard any indication since spring training started that he was not going to be a member of the opening squad. Now, in fairness, in reality, how much does that really mean? Unless it's like, then of course, it, you know, Chris gets thrown in with like the service time manipulation, and like it's like all this. It, it went in so many directions. I'm over here in Hawaii. I send it to Cody, and I go, "Who's on more of an island, me or this guy?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I guess to say like that was as out there as anything I've seen. But we got to address this. Is there any indication that that might be a thing? Not that I've heard. Uh, by the time this pod releases on Monday, I don't know. There's an outside chance we could know if Twerkelson and Green are going to be on the roster. So really apologize if this information is dated and completely wrong. But here's my here's my personal belief after being around the team, after watching every spring training game. I'm going to have a hard time taking the we want to win, we want to make the playoffs mm-hmm. message seriously if you do not put Riley Green on the opening day roster. I think that applies to Torkelson too. Like who is who you want on this roster? Torkelson or Isak Paredes? Torkelson or Willie Castro? I'm going to take Torkelson. But Riley looks so advanced. He looks more advanced than Torkelson to me. He rarely has bad at-bats. There have been a couple games where some swing and miss showed up. You know that's part of his package. Um, he has really good baseball IQ. He's been barreling up the ball. His average exit velocity is, I think, somewhere in the upper 90s. Um, I, I'd kind of like to see Torkelson start barreling the ball up a little more. Like, if you really wanted to make an argument that we think this player could benefit from a little more time in AAA, I think it would apply to Torkelson more. I still wouldn't super buy it. Uh, if you hit me with that with Riley Green... I mean, that's my reaction. It's like, okay, you know what? If you want to control this guy in 2028 or whatever as opposed to now, you know what? That's fine. I get that argument. I get it. To some degree, it makes sense. Riley Green, five, six years from now, is going to be a hell of an asset asset that you don't want to lose. But don't tell me you're trying to win every game. Don't tell me you're trying to make the playoffs. Don't tell me every game matters if you're not going to take your best roster north. I think that's the best way to look at it. I'm not sure what more you could really want to see out of Riley Green to prove he's one of your three, four best outfielders. I mean, is he ready to be a star in the league? I don't know. But is he going to be better than Victor Reyes right now? I think so. Is he going to be better than Derek Hill right now? I sure think so. Um, So I think I don't really buy any argument to the contrary. And and even if we hear... uh, Otherwise, even if we hear any other reasoning from the Tigers front office, I think I will, 
I will stick to my guns here and write that that kind of dilutes the we want to make the playoffs message. I think it would dilute that message to the guys in the clubhouse. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're Javi Baez, hey, I just signed up to play for this team. I'm here to win. If you're Miguel Cabrera, you're in the final two years of your career. Hey, I want to win. I want Torkelson to play first and LDH so we can win. And then you're going to go tell those guys, you know, we Riley, like it'd just be good to give him like a couple weeks in Toledo. Come on. Like, come on, really? Yeah, and we're recording this uh, not too long after he had that diving catch, you know, against the Blue Jays. And uh, defensively, and gosh, the uh, the Toronto broadcast, they're so on the ball. They, you know, the, you know the immediately afterwards. Good broadcast. Good bro- Dan Schulman, one of the best of, of, of a generation, no doubt. Uh, national lost Toronto's gain that he gets to do all those games. Um you know, they believe he can play all three outfield spots, and you know they were they were really on the ball about you know the Riley Riley Green scouting report. There's not much you can sell me on on what he like isn't capable of doing. Now, all that struggles that will most likely happen. It's all baked into the cake. That's fine, but defensively. I don't have really any questions. He also made a really nice throw. So, uh, do we have, like his arm, I don't have any concerns about. Remember, I've said a couple times over the past year that I just didn't know because I, you know, hadn't yeah. seen him. But looked like his arm's good. He's got good instincts. Uh, that applies to the plate as well, obviously. But it, it, it's hard for me to have an argument. I think the clubhouse thing you just said is spot on because, like, you – AJ's going to have to face those 28, 26 guys in in the locker room and they they're not dumb. They've seen Riley Green play. They know what he's capable of. They they've been, you know, batting practice and drills and you know, I think uh I think it was uh somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who, was like you're going to so you're going to break camp with not one of your top 3 outfielders and your only real first baseman. So that's your winning strategy. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sums it up right there, in my opinion. It, look, spring training stats don't matter, but Riley Green's spring OPS is 1.430 at the time we are recording this. He is hitting 400 with a 480 OBP and two home runs. Tell me he's not earned a roster spot? Come on. Well, remember, yeah, <laughs> you go back, you know, I go back again to one of our first episodes, and what was that I said about the Akil Badu thing, which you and I were both, very slow to to get on that train Definitely. just because it didn't make any sense you know like you know the injury and a ball and oh he's gonna make the major league roster i mean the riley green stuff wakes up makes a way <laughs> much more sense <laughs> than akil yeah. than akil yeah. badu last year but what did i say i said how are you gonna sell like you got to earn your roster spot this guy has done nothing to uh but earn a roster spot so i think that stuff's important i think the human element uh that part of the human element specifically can never go overlooked so um we'll we'll go on record and if we 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 come out flat wrong on monday hey that's just <laughs> you know that's just that's just how it goes man <laughs> i don't know and i have a hard time believing that that would be aj Hinch's call saying no i don't want these guys i guess i don't know that for a fact but i have a hard time believing that so if you're the front office, you're going to tell your manager who came to Detroit when maybe he didn't have to, who 
has changed the culture of your franchise in a huge way, mm-hmm. who helped you get some of these free agents, you're going to go tell him, who there's some rumors out there about his contract situation and possible opt-out. I still don't know that for a fact. But you're going to go tell this guy, ah, you know, we're going to leave We're going to leave them in AAA. Okay, I don't think AJ's going to like that. And let's not pin this on Alavila either, because if you're Alavila and you are the GM who's gone through these awful years and you finally seem ready to compete and you finally have your prospects at the major league level and you've been on kind of thin ice for a while and Chris Illich has stuck with you and he's believed in you and he gave you a contract extension, but that contract extension is nearing the back half, I believe. Uh, you going to leave those guys in AAA? Like, I don't think it makes sense for anyone in this organization at this point to where as long as these guys are playing well and looking like they can handle the major leagues to not have them in the major leagues. All right, so I'm looking at Action Network right now. The Tigers' over-under on their win totals is 77.5, according to the Action Network. That's 19th in baseball. Um, last year, obviously, they exceeded their, their Vegas over-under. You had made it you, you made like a little bit of a soft comment earlier so i just wanted to get you on record as saying okay seven seven and a half are you taking right now are you taking the over or the under i uh i do not bet on baseball but if i were to advocate any friends out there who do gamble i would hit that over pretty hard um now like i just said i think even some of my optimism is already like, eh, are we sure about that? And I think maybe I've been influenced by like the projection systems a little too much, but Fangraphs and Pakoda tend to know what they're talking about, tend to be at least in the right ballpark. And Pakoda thinks the Tigers are going to win like 68 games, which seems kind of asinine, but it's like the analytical model suggests a lot of dudes on this team could regress. Um, they don't necessarily love Javier Baez that much, you know, a lot of things like that. So that's like why I would back off them winning 85 to 90 games. But at the same time, if you're like, you take last year's team and you add Javi Baez, Tucker Barnhart, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, Mize Manning, Scooble are a year older, and you have Twerk and Green, it's, it's, I think they would have to be ravaged by injuries to not exceed last season's win total. Speaking of Barnhart, another thing that came up this week was just like the speculation of whether he should, they should try to extend him now. Um, that's something that we had been on early, but I believe we're both sort of the wait and see. Maybe it could be like a July thing or you know in the August. Is that still where you kind of stand on that? Haven't seen think, him around. Uh, yeah, I think ultimately it's the Tigers probably should extend Tucker Barnhart, and I, I think they will if it comes to it, but. Uh, I think a lot of times you only have something to lose by rushing to extensions. Like, good players are going to get paid either way. Maybe we're talking the difference of a couple mil, but uh, I don't think you're saving that much money, especially in the case of, like, a, a veteran. If we're talking Wander Franco or something, maybe that's a little bit different. But think of when some people wanted Matthew Boyd to be extended. Mm, I think those people are now pretty glad that didn't happen. Um, I think there's there's... Number one, let's see, is Barnard really the truth? How does he fare? How does he mesh with the, the pitching staff this year? How does he hit? There's a lot of reasons to suggest he's a proven guy. He should do well, but let's see. Does he stay healthy? 
How does Jake Rogers' uh, injury rehab go? What does Dylan Dingler do in the minor leagues this year? Can Eric Haas prove that he's really sticking around? Can Eric Haas even perhaps uh, make some defensive improvements like he's talked about? I think those are all factors to consider when you talk about extending Barnhart. I think in the big picture, um, it's going to make a lot of sense to keep him around, but I don't think it hurts you to wait until maybe July, um, around the time they extended scope last year, just to make sure that it works and to make sure that it's it's ultimately best for your team. Yeah, I uh, have little to add to that. All right, so th- you finally published a story that we had kind of been talking about uh, for since you arrived, basically, in Lakeland. And <laughs> I'm reading it, and I'm just like, God, this is, I bet you this is a lot of work that Cody had to do just for, like, a graph. Uh, <laughs> in case you guys haven't read it, there's a statue of Ty Cobb at, uh, at, at the stadium in Lakeland. Except it's not. It's not. It's not. It doesn't. <laughs> I think what you put it is, like, at best a marginal resemblance. <laughs> yeah, which was being very, very nice. Very, which was being very nice. Very nice. Um, so, and that got you, that's got to be the only time you've ever written about, like, international art fraud. <laughs> I don't think that's what you envisioned when you envisioned being a Major League Baseball beat writer. sculptor this year, no, no. I love it, though. I mean, this story absolutely had me fascinated. I spent, uh, you're right, way, way too many hours of my life writing about uh, an inanimate object. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, you're going to tell me it's not an entertaining story, you know? I, I think this story, more than anything, is just hilarious. I mean, I wrote it mostly with a serious tone, but, like, if you look at the pictures and everything, like, it just makes me laugh every time I think about it. I mean, these people just got this statue from a pharmaceutical company for some reason. This guy who ran the Ted Williams Museum was like, yeah, I'll take it. Well, I guess it's Ty Cobb. And that museum's closing down, so he calls up his bud in Lakeland. He's like, hey, you want this statue of Ty Cobb? And the guy's Ron Myers, is like, yeah. And they get it, and they put it out there, and they say it's Ty Cobb, and everyone's just like, oh, that must be Ty Cobb. <laughs> it's like, the statue looks nothing like Ty Cobb. In fact, the statue just looks bad in general. Uh, I've been stood up close to it. I guess I have not, like, tested what it's made out of, but kind of looks like cheap materials to me. And sure enough, the only marking, there's no markings that indicate it's Ty Cobb. It's a generic baseball player. The only markings is the name Jim Davidson. Now, do a little research, and you'll find Jim Davidson is a name commonly inscribed on knockoff statues. It's a guy who, uh, kind of in the the mid-2000s, was using it out of a Thai foundry as like a Western name he thought would help sell these knockoff works that they would mark up like they were authentic and made of high quality materials um, to Western buyers. So the unsolved mystery, the part I could not crack, there are more, there's more than one of this statue out there. There are some smaller ones. They're like statue of baseball player. There was a big one out in California that was like life-size baseball sculpture. There's another one in Canada that was also marketed to be Ty Cobb. And I called this place and emailed this place and they never got back to me. I think because they had already been um, 
kind of called out on this from Ty Cobb's granddaughter They've been who was had. quoted in the story. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think maybe they just went silent on it. I don't know. But there are two of these statues out there that someone, sometime in history, decided to say, let's say this is Ty Cobb. <laughs> and uh, I was not able to track either of these statues far enough. Whoever came up with that idea, I mean, honestly, like, credit to them. That's brilliant. Probably scammed a lot of people. Like, people, I think, have paid money for these things at some point in human history really really weird really wild um but ultimately kind of disgraceful to the legacy of ty cobb to have this cheap ass warble statue out there cindy cobb would like it taken down and uh i suppose i'll try to maintain my objectivity since i uh, authored this hard-hitting investigative piece but like it's kind of like the right, like, really, like, like, really, you're going to keep saying, like, you're going to keep this thing up. Like, really? Come on. Hey, man, it's, it's a perfect example that if you believe something to be true, then it's true. You know, <laughs> like there were because in the story, there's like multiple people. It's like, yeah, you know, it, it, it's like, up, you know, like, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, if not for the Jim Davidson inscription, you could just be like, yeah, there's Tyco. And even if it's not and was never intended to be, you could. I don't know. What's to keep you from just saying it's Ty Cobb? That, that'd be, like, very shoddy still, but sure. But, like, this is Mark, like, linked to a guy who clearly is making cheap knockoff statues in Thailand. So it's like you can't even defend, like, well, you know, art is whatever you perceive it. Like, you can't even go down that road. And that's, this also gets into what we've talked about with Cobb a lot and the Elf Stump and some of the... the um, misconceptions about Ty Cobb and how bad of a person was he really like was he an awful racist and that's included in the story a lot of that of course if you've listened to our pod is not completely true doesn't mean that Ty Cobb was like Santa Claus or whatever but I still get all these comments like oh they no one should have a statue of Ty Cobb up anyway and it's like I mean he wasn't a confederate general like I'm sorry like he I he probably wasn't a very nice man but like there's no evidence that he was like this overt racist that he anyway that goes down like another rabbit hole it's just like people are people it's are not racist. jefferson davis it's just phrase it like that right 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 right. <laughs> hell i mean maybe maybe next year they should just call it somebody different this is charlie Garringer, you know like just <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, he could yeah i mean be a different guy he was year. he was called the mechanical man so is it you know <laughs> that, that sort of implies like basics of you know like yeah it's charlie garinger just say it's anybody like there's nothing distinguished about it like you know you know this year it's willie horton you know like i hope uh i hope my work has done some good for the world let my the end of my life let let the the record show that hopefully i contributed (laughs) to uh setting the record straight on a very terrible statue of a dead (laughs) baseball player nothing else i hope i've achieved that well i'll tell you that's uh Impact journalism at its finest, investigative journalism at its finest. More so, I hope I made a few people chuckle or laugh or feel entertained. <laughs> Definitely did. Definitely did. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll we'll wrap up with uh, with this. So, as uh, I've mentioned several times, and as people know, I got some congratulatory messages on Twitter. Got married last week. I'm in Hawaii right now for said honeymoon um in the words of my now wife alexis i told cody as he was leaving all right we'll be able to do a pod 
and she goes, the pod never sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know we found the one right yeah. there. So, uh, so I, I just wanted to share a couple of highlights from, uh, fr- from the wedding. Um, well, there were a couple things that were very important to Alexis and I. One was that the ceremony did not drag. It was, you know, really, you know, to the point. I do. Let's go party. And two, that it was a party. And three, that the food was good. We had a, a local barbecue joint um, cater catered the event. And from my vantage point, Cody, I, you know, it feels weird trying to toot my own horn or whatever. But I feel like we succeeded on that. I had an amazing time. Alexis had an amazing time. Uh, her... Uh, garter or whatever was a lion's garter that was her idea that was her something blue so uh shout out to shout out to the detroit lions on this podcast i suggested a tigers one but it wasn't like blue enough for like to be like something <laughs> blue so um so yeah I, I had an amazing time it seemed like everybody had an amazing time uh cody you were instrumental in, in throughout this process obviously as the best man and and so i just wanted to see you know why don't you share with the people some uh, some of the highlights of of the day as you were observing and and also having a uh, having a good time from what I could see? Yeah, uh, definitely a beautiful wedding. Congratulations again. Uh, it was efficient. I, I value the efficiency of the ceremony. Ran very smoothly. Um, yeah, didn't drag. I feel like I had to take way too many pictures with the wedding party, but I guess that's <laughs> like something you know your bride cares about or whatever. Um, other than that, I mean, it was great. You know, our friend Stetson was your officiant, sometimes referenced on this podcast as an anonymous Dodgers fan. Mm -hmm. He did a really good job. Um, I held together for the most part. I didn't cry too much, but I was tearing up. So I can't imagine what you felt like inside. Um, there were several other beautiful moments. Um, uh, you know, you got to dance with your mother Mm -hmm. who, tries to present herself with kind of a hard exterior, but, uh, she told me she was, she was crying most of the day, (laughs) you know, um, that was really great and a lot of fun moments. I mean, it was, it was definitely fun. There was music, um, a point, my, uh, my girlfriend, yes, girlfriend, first reference, um, (laughs) Andrea is her name point. She made, there were no slow songs, like a lot of songs, like, you know, I almost wanted one or two to like slow dance or whatever. Every song I was up there for was uh, fast-paced, upbeat. It was upbeat the whole time. Like, there was no slowing it down. You had the open bar. Unfortunately, I think some of the highlights, like, we just got to talk about Murphy, um, our <laughs> pal, because he he introduced himself to Kieran's grandmother as Kevin Stitt. Kevin Stitt, for those who don't know, is the governor of Oklahoma. <laughs> he did it just to be funny. Uh, there's another story regarding Kieran's younger brother and a woman who he thought was flirting with him. And we set Murphy up to be like, you know, go, go tell him that that this girl looked into him, you know? So Murphy went and he did that and he's like, oh yeah, she was, she was into you, bro. (laughs) And Kieran's younger brother later tells another friend. Yeah. Even a stranger came up and said like, she was digging me, which, uh, was all a massive joke and perfectly executed by Murphy, of course. Uh, so I'm for like, those are probably the, the most hilarious things to me, but got to meet, uh, some of Kieran's extended family, met a couple of, uh, pod listeners. It turns out we're listening to this thing up in New York. That all was a lot of fun. 
Um, it's going to be hard to top, Kieran, as the best day of your life, and it was probably one of the best days of my life, too. Well, um, it can't be uh, missed. I, I got to say that Cody had one one hell of a best man speech. Uh, I He let me keep the, the written notes, so I have that as another keepsake from the day. Um, the uh, maid of honor speech was also great, and as you said, Stetson did a little spiel um, uh, as officiant before uh, before the conclusion of the ceremony. So there was there were a couple things that quote unquote went wrong. There's always something. Alexis accidentally didn't order enough bouquets for the <laughs> for the bridal party, and thus uh, we were so we were short on flowers and all that stuff. But the, oh, the but the bridesmaids really thought on their feet. Oh, I they mean, were great. Props to them. They just took flowers Came up from with like others. A makeshift yeah, bouquet, yeah, and like one of the girls just literally held it together like the entire time. So <laughs> so that was great. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine the the food. I was surprised because you know you get catered stuff, you know, especially like barbecue. Sometimes you're like, oh, but I really liked, um, really liked the food. Shout out Patriotic Pig in uh, North Richmond Hills, Texas, or Bataga. I, I, I missed the cake. I was busy like partying or talking to people or something. Well, so see, that was another thing too. Is that like we didn't want a cake cutting ceremony. Like we just did it for the photo, okay. and then they, you know, yeah. so we didn't make a big thing. Cause we, well, because you were talking about the upbeatness. We were just like, we just want people to party. So we just kind of did it, did the photographer thing, you know, peace in the mouth. And then, all right, let's go boogie, you know. Uh, <laughs> probably the the thing I was probably most proud of was the buy-in from everybody, including you on down in the, uh, in the uh, as groomsmen's. And, uh, and I got lifted up. During "Don't oh, Stop yeah. Believing," to do that at a wedding. Yeah, that was, <laughs> and it was a, it was like the whole song. It was just like up and up and down the entire time. Glad uh, Kieran's lost so much weight, guys. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, my arms were like sore afterward. I was like, whew, a couple of years ago, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that would have been even more work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and also shout out Andrea. She was helpful and. Um, in the lead up to, and obviously a great, uh, seemed like a great date to said wedding. And also finally convinced me to buy Alexis flowers. I had been holding out for six <laughs> years and Andrea just had a way about her that I couldn't say no. So I, I purchased flowers to be delivered to the bridal suite the day of. <laughs> so, <laughs> she does uh, have that way about her for sure. Um, I had another point. What was it? Oh, I was just, can we find an excuse to do this again? Like, for me, it was great to just have all these friends in one place, which we don't really get to do often anymore. And it was a great time. Everyone was in a good mood, dancing, you know, drinking. It's like, why? Why can't people find more excuses to just, like, have everyone together and have a ton of fun? You know? Don't always have to be extravagant as a wedding, of course. Obviously, that, that was not very cheap. But, like, we need, we need to just some someone else come up with a, a reason to get everyone together because I, I, I really loved it. Yeah. It was an amazing time. So, any other uh, any other Tigers notes before we kind of jet out of here? Uh, crazy to think our next pod we will be opening the season. Uh, I'm I'm super excited for opening day and to see some meaningful games. Uh, I'm sure there will be a lot more news and nuggets that pop up in the next week as the opening day roster is set. Um, but. All this stuff, the beautiful thing, everything we're talking about today isn't going to matter a whole lot 
in another week because we're going to be into real games and and uh, the show will begin again. So isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful, and I'll sum it up in three words. We made it. We made it. We went you know, through a whole offseason that had this real big excitement with the contracts right before the – Right before the lockout, and then the anxiety of the lockout, the frustrations with the lockout. Uh, I want to I want to compliment you being able to come up with creative, fun, interesting stories uh, during said lockout. Um, definitely, definitely feel like anyone who subscribes to the Athletic, specifically for Tigers coverage, they were not. Uh, they got their money's worth, I would say, from uh, from you. Even when there was really nothing to really talk about or like, you know, usual writing processes. So that's a credit to you. And we're ready for round two, man. Round two. We we made it. Very excited. Um, I think this team's gonna keep giving us plenty to discuss and talk about. There's a lot of fun personalities. There's a good mix of youth and veterans. And AJ Hinch always keeps it interesting as well. So uh, we'll bring back periodically whenever we feel like it. Some of the things from last year, like buy, sell, hold. AJ Hinch suggestion box. Ooh, do we have a suggestion? What's I think, our suggestion? I, I, I could. Uh, how about this? Uh, bat Riley Green two hole and just be like, this is what he should be. This is what he should be. Where he he. Had the highest, I know, spring training stats. Had the highest batting average, you know, slugging, all that stuff in spring training. Why not make him a two-hole hitter for a day? Just a day. This is a two-hole hitter. This this is what, center field, two-hole hitter. This is what you can be, Riley. That's my suggestion. Okay. All right. That's a bold suggestion. I'm actually in favor of kind of breaking the young guys in a little lower in the lineup until they, they really catch their groove and get going. Um... It's my suggestion. To be honest, I think last week, I think I advocated for Derek Hill, and our guy Derek has already got nicked up with another minor injury, so I don't know the status. If he's healthy, man, I want to see some Derek Hill in center, Riley Green and right, like we have in spring training. I think, uh, I think that's what I want to see some more of. And on that note, we'll go ahead and get out of here. Let's enjoy this week for what it is we got real baseball it's a little later than we thought but it's a lot better than what it could have been so uh, make sure to follow cody on twitter at cody stavenhagen i'm at kieran underscore steckley our pod page is at turn corner pod please subscribe rate and review subscribe to the athletic if you are not already tons of great content coming down so for cody stavenhagen i'm kieran steckley everybody thank you very much for listening for maintaining for the kind words we're only going to keep doing this. Uh, we're going to up the ante a little bit just as the Tigers are aiming to up the ante. So everybody have a great opening day week. <laughs>